Amen. This is a brand new year, and I, I've been sharing with you about just some of the things that I felt even prophetically that God was doing. And, and one of the things that we talked about was I, I felt like God was impregnating the church with things, with what he had for us, with what he wanted to do, that, that there was a, a pregnancy. And, you know, with every pregnancy, there comes a time of, of birth. But leading up to that is a time of preparation for that birth. And, um, and, and God's calling us into that time. 2022 was a year where there was this place of impregnating and, and the church in such a way that there was some wonderful new things that God was doing. But 2023 is a, a year where I believe that it's time for delivery. That God has something that he is going to do, something that's going to wow us. And something that, uh, you know, we haven't even begun to fully see the, uh, the depth of it all. And so what I want to do is prepare. And there, God laid it on our hearts this year for, go ahead and throw that next slide up, would you please? For um, this year, January 2023 would be vision month. That we are going to seek what God would have as a vision. Seeking the heart and the vision of God for our family. For our families individually, no matter what the makeup of that family is. To seek God's heart. To seek what God has. To seek the will that he has. To seek the vision that he has for each and every family. For this family as well. And so God has something special and wonderful, and we're going to do that. We're going to take the time, the opportunity to seek that. And I'm going to ask you to be a part of that by doing a couple of things. By joining us, and every year in January, I, join, I ask you to join us in a time of fasting and prayer. Time to really just set aside the, some of the fasting. And, and listen, fasting is food. Okay? I, I mean, biblical fasting is food. You, you, there's, there's other thing we'll talk about in a minute, but if you're going to fast, it's food. And God calls us to fast. And so I'm going to ask you to do that, to fast in this month of January with us. And you can do that however you see fit. Whatever it is that God would lay on your heart, whatever he would be asking you to do, um, you, you can do 10 days of a Daniel fast. You can do a five-day you know, juice fast. You can do a, a during-the-week fast. You can do what, whatever you want to do. I'm asking you to pray and to, to look. Again, to make it sacrificial. It's something that makes you hungry. And I want you then to take the time, say, you, you know, okay, I'm, I'm gonna give up lunch all this month. Take that time that you would have normally stopped and ate lunch and pray. Take that time when you would have normally been, been indulging in food or, and Pray. To begin, just God, I, I need your vision. I want to know what you have for me. I want to know what you have in our lives, God. I begin to pray and ask, Lord, that you take this time and take this hunger. Take it, Lord God, as I sacrifice it unto you. And I pray, God, use it in my life. Lord, I don't want this flesh to rule me. I want you to rule me. Amen. And so take that time in prayer and fasting throughout the month. However, God would, again, lay that on your heart to be a part of that. I'm just asking that you would be a part of it. Whatever. I, I mean... Uh, you know what, for some of you, maybe you've never done, uh, maybe, you know what, maybe you give up candy bars. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm not going to have any fast food this month. I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I think that you need to hear from God what he wants you to do. And however that might be, that will lead you into that sacrificial time of really beginning to hear from God in prayer. And then I'm going to also ask you to join us in a time of sacrifice and obedience. Church, there are so many distractions that want our attention. Yes, there is. 
And I'm going to ask you to consider making a fast from some sort of the technology that wants to distract us so much to, you know what, get rid of the Facebook app and Instagram and the Snapchat and, you know, you know, YouTube or give up your television time this month and turn it into time where you could seek God, open up his word and pray. To open up your Bible, your, Bi- your actual Bible, the paper ones, you know, you know that one? Open it up. And read. It'll take a little while for you to stop looking for the notifications across the top to pop up, but it, you'll get used to it. If you don't have a paper Bible, we'll give you one. We, have a, we, we would love to do that. But open up your paper Bible and really begin to take in the Word page by page. Join us in the Daily Dig. Just be a part of, of some of that. So I'm going to ask you to consider that. What would you and what would your family begin to do in this month that would be a sacrifice that would come in obedience to what God is speaking to your heart? And yeah, it'll be tough. Yes, it will be a sacrifice in the day and age in which we live. But God calls us to tough, difficult things. Yes, he does. So we want to do that because we're preparing for birth. So the, one of the other things, go ahead and throw that next slide up there, is in seeking the heart and vision of God for our families, is done something we've never done before. We are, this coming month, we are canceling all of our children's programs and all of our youth programs. God really spoke to my heart that, in asking me, are your programs more important than seeking me? And so we are canceling all the programs and I'm asking rather than you staying home, I'm asking that you would bring your kids here and that you bring them to a time of prayer. So every Wednesday night in this month, we're gonna meet from 6.30 to 7.30 and we're gonna come together in prayer. And you need to bring your kids. You know, back in the old days, they didn't have children's ministries. You had your kids in church with you. Your kids need to see you in church. They need to see you in prayer. They need to see you in worship. They need to know how and what prayer looks like and and how to get on their knees. They need to know what it is for you in a corporate setting to put your hands on them and pray over them. They they need to understand that. And so I'm asking you to not keep your kids at home. Not keep your kids at home because that'll be a difficult hour. So endure a difficult hour with your kids in prayer. Amen. Travail. Press in. Yes. Just do it. And so I'm asking that you would come and that you would be a part of that. Coming together as one church, one family, coming together to pray and ask that God would prepare us for what he has in store, for what is to come in 2023, to seek the vision that God has for us. So church, I'm going to ask you to do those things with me, to join us as we want to see what God has. We, we want what God wants. Yes, we do. I, I, wanna, I don't want a program to outrule or be more important to us than what God wants and what God calls us to. So we'll, we'll have a time of worship and we'll spend some time doing that, seeking God, praying, letting the, the you know, the, the you pray, and, and as the Lord leads, letting the prophetic voice rise up. I want to I hear from God. Desperately, desperately want to hear from God.
So come. I'm, I'm expecting you. Amen? There's certain times in a family when, you know what? It's, a fam- it's time to show up. Okay, this is a show up time. This is time to come. And if you're a part of the church family, and you can, if you're, if, if you're not working at those times, and, then come. I expect you to be here. Amen? Amen. I, uh, as we were doing all of this, I was reading this week, uh, or earlier, I, I got up on Monday morning, I started reading, and I started going through Nehemiah, and started to, uh, to look in, and I, I want to share with you, because we are looking at vision, and I want to share with you a message about vision, because sometimes I think what we do is we leave this whole thing of vision, we, we leave it into the, you know, simply in a supernatural format, and we, we, we leave it in a mystical place that, you know what, I don't know what the vision is because, you know, God hasn't spoken to me, I haven't heard that booming voice, I haven't had that dream that illuminated everything I'm supposed to do, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So, you know, what, what, I want to seek what God has for you and for me in this way of vision, personal vision and corporate vision. What is the vision that God has for your church? And how do we find that? The first thing we have to really look at is what is a vision? What does it mean to have a vision? I mean, we hear that all the time. We, we, we talk about that. We've talked about that, but what is it? What does it mean? What is a vision? And simply put, a vision is a divine destiny. It is a divine purpose. It is a divine plan. A vision is what God has for you. It says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no destiny, where there is no purpose, where there is no plan, the people perish. And church, God has a vision. God has a purpose. God has a destiny for every single man, every single woman, every single child, every single family, for every single church. God has a plan. God has a destiny. And he has, before he even knew you, before he even created you, he had a plan for you. And he has a plan for every single human being that walks the face of the earth. He has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you. God knows the plans that he has for you. God knows the vision that he has for you. God knows the purpose that he created you. He knows what he desires and designed you for. He knows those things. Just because you might not know that doesn't mean he doesn't know it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And therefore, church, he created each and every one of us with down inside of us a need. A need to be a part of God's divine puzzle. Where he would put us and fit us and place us in where it is that he created us to be. That we would be a part of the body and be okay with what it is that he's calling us to do. He created us for that purpose. You were created for that purpose. And your life finds fulfillment as we really begin to realize and find his purpose for our life. And I also want you to see this. That your life, that my life, that everything in my life, from the beginning to the end, is a process of developing a vision. Especially when 
you give your heart to the Lord, when you become a born-again Christian, when you give your heart to Jesus, God, the Redeemer, comes into your life and he begins to redeem everything. What that means is that everything in your life, that, ha- that means that every accident is no longer just a simple accident. That means nothing that happens is just an accident. He redeems everything in our life. He redeems the experiences. He redeems what went on. He redeems the thing we did. He redeems the good, the bad, the ugly. He redeems everything because God is our redeemer. And he takes those things into our life. And as a Christian, he begins to take those things that happen and begins to weave it all together to fulfill the vision, the purpose, the plan that he has for your life. That's the sovereignty of an almighty God that's able to do that. Thank God, and that is what it means to be redeemed. God redeems it all. In Proverbs 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Church, the the secret to this life is discovering his purpose and enjoying his plan for you. you know, and the truth is, you may never know truly what the whole thing is. You won't. <clears throat> it unfolds as you walk it out. Church, I knew that when God had called me, when he saved me, when I became born again, I, I knew that God had something for me. I knew that he had a plan for me. I didn't know what it all was. I knew the things I wanted. I knew the things that I hoped. I I knew some of that stuff, but I I didn't know exactly what God was going to do. But I started to walk. Church, never in a million years, more than that, would in my wildest dreams, would I ever have imagined in God's vision and plan for my life that I would have ended up as a pastor in Thule, Utah. I'd never even been to Utah, let alone ever heard the name of this place. I had no idea, but God did. God is the one who ordains our steps and the things that happened in my life up to this point. God began to redeem and began to renew and began to restore, and he began to order the steps as I just faithfully tried to walk after him turning back where I got off track but just trying to faithfully stay after him and God in that has led me into this place because this is his vision for my life did I know it absolutely not am I so glad and blessed that God did amen because there's no place else I'd rather be than in Thule Utah so I want to look at the life of Nehemiah. You, you can open up your Bible or, you know, you're, it's, I list, laid out all the scriptures. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. So you can um, uh, go to the Bible, the, uh, the sermon notes in the church app. I was reading through and looking at Nehemiah. And, 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 and no matter what it was that Nehemiah had in his life or what it was he came from, Nehemiah, when you look at what the Bible tells us in Nehemiah, coming out of Ezra and into Nehemiah, you see this man who was a great leader, this guy who, I mean, he, he did some pretty cool stuff as far as leading went. He was a visionary. So again, you know, I know you, some of you have probably um, heard this or, or read some of those 
books about millionaires. And, you know, and one of the things that, that a millionaire says is, you know what, if you want to learn how to be a millionaire, ask a millionaire. You want to learn how to be a visionary? Ask a visionary. Okay? Nehemiah was a visionary. And we're going to look at what Nehemiah has to say and what it is that happened in this. And the first thing I want to point out that I want you to see is in Nehemiah in chapter 1, at the very end of chapter 1, in verse 11, there's kind of a little tagline that's placed kind of, it almost seems awkwardly at the end. And it says this, it says, he was the king's cupbearer. He was the king's cupbearer. Now, I know that the cupbearer would, you know, they had varying responsibilities, but I'm going to just give you a very basic in a nutshell, because, you know, they did have some pre- uh, prestige because they were in the king's palace. I mean, they had this place where they had the, you know, they, they could talk to the king, which, and be in the presence of the king, which that was fairly prestigious. But let's face it, the cupbearer would drink the stuff that the king was going to drink, and if he didn't die, the king would drink it. And if the cupbearer died the king would not drink that. So, I don't know. I mean, that was not a a job that I would think, you know, everybody was pining for. But I want you to see that, that no matter how or why or when he came into this position or whatever he thought about this position, it was divinely appointed of God. God had appointed him. He may have thought the king did, but God had appointed him. And it was through this this God divinely appointed position that Nehemiah would accomplish the divine plan and purpose that God had that he was going to use Nehemiah for. So God had put him in that place. Let me just tell you, where you are right now is a divine position from God. He has divinely placed you where you are right now because he wants to use you right where you are right now to accomplish a step in the plan and purpose that he has for your life. So what did he do? What did Nehemiah, how in the world did he walk this out? And the first thing he did, and this is going to be very, very simple, he saw the need. He saw the need. Do you see the needs that are around you? Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking those who see the needs so that they can make their list of all the complaints about the church. Do you see the needs? Do you see the hurting? Do you see the holes? Do you see the places that are not? Do you see the things that should be? Nehemiah, he saw the need. He recognized the need. Nehemiah was not afraid of the need. He didn't turn his ear. He didn't turn his eye away from it, pretending it wasn't there. I mean, what's it matter to him? He's in the king's palace. He's drinking the finest wine. Hoping it was okay, but just drinking it anyway. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, As soon as I heard these words, as soon as I heard that the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed, that the city was torn apart, and that the people of God were in distress, he said, As soon as I heard those words, I wept and mourned for days. Look, he had a burden for people. He had a burden for people. Do, do, Do we have a burden for people? 
It's not just about what we, what we do as the job. It's about the people. It's about the influence. It's about those we help. It's about those who come to Christ. It's about people. Do we have a burden for people? And does the burden that people are under bring distress to you? It did to Nehemiah. And so what did he do? The second thing he did is he began to pray. He prayed. He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And, and you can read it later, but in, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, it, it lays out this prayer. Beautiful prayer that Nehemiah prays. It's a prayer, uh, it's a, it's a prayer of, of honor unto God. It's a prayer of um, honesty. I mean, he, 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 he prayed honestly to God. He bore the sins before God. He, he, he went in repentance. It was a prayer of faith. It was a prayer of obedience, a prayer of, of willingness, a prayer of submission. Do we pray those kinds of prayers? Where we're just being like, Lord, just flat out open before you. I have screwed up, we have screwed up, and the people are a mess. What can we do here, God? Or what do you want me to do? I think oftentimes in our prayers, and I, I do this, I'm guilty. I, I pray, God, just fix it all. God, just change it all. I don't really want to be an instrument you use to do it. I just want you to do it. Was not the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He, he went and prayed openly and honestly before God. And then he did this. He decided to do something about it. It says in Nehemiah 2, verse 5, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah. He didn't say send somebody to Judah. He didn't say find a contractor that knows wall building and send him to Judah. He didn't say find somebody that's qualified and send them to Judah. He said, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He did what Ecclesiastes tells us to do in Ecclesiastes 9.10. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with everything you got. Do it and give the best you have to God. Give the best you can give because that's what God deserves. And Nehemiah, he wasn't just looking for an answer. Nehemiah was looking to be the answer. He was volunteering to be the answer to the problem that was there. He wasn't looking for somebody else to do the job. He's saying, I'll do the job. I'm the one. God, I'll do it. And so... He realized in that moment that God had given him this divine position. And he said, you know what? I'm going to use my divine position and my divine influence to accomplish this divine purpose that God has for me. The vision that God has to rebuild the wall. And obviously, this was a vision from God. Now again, I looked and looked. And maybe some of you can you know, help me. If you know, send me, you know, shoot me an email or something. That, uh, show me the background. I could not find a lot of background on Nehemiah from before they came into exile. And I don't know what his background was. My point is, I, I don't know what he had. I would think that if he had like construction background, he wouldn't have been 
used as cupbearer. I don't, I don't know. Again, that's just my speculation. I'm not saying that. But very likely, Isaiah, or, uh, Nehemiah did not have the training to do what he set out to do. You know what Nehemiah had? He had willingness and a vision. That's it. He had willingness and a vision, which brings up this divine principle that we've got to understand. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God is the God that's able to use you and do with you whatever it is that he calls you to do. It's not a point where we sit back and wait until we're qualified. God uses us right where we are. I thought about this. You know, I was not, when, when I decided I wanted to get married, I was not qualified to be married. I, it was like God was calling me to come into marriage where the two would become one flesh. That Joni and I would come together and she would become responsible for me and I would become responsible for her and we would come together and we would join in this union and we would become one. And it was like, I was not qualified for that. I couldn't take care of myself, let alone someone else. And I would dare to bet that most of you, when you got married, you weren't qualified to be married either. We did it out of this emotion and found out that, man, oh man, it takes some time in marriage to become qualified. And then the next thing happens that we're totally unqualified for. Oh, God, what did you do? Do you know who I am and what I've done? I was completely and totally unqualified to take care of another life like that. A little baby? I was not qualified to be a parent. I'm still just on the verge. And they're grown and gone. <laughs> Please hear me. Stop waiting to be qualified and answer the call. Amen. Stop waiting. God doesn't need you to wait. Nehemiah, he had, a, he had a vision. And then he had a desire to be obedient to God. And he used the things that God had placed around him, the things in his life, to begin the task of fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Listen, church, you know what Nehemiah did? He did what he could do and trusted God to anoint his steps. Amen. And the Bible is filled with that, with people who did. Moses, Moses did. Joshua did. Esther did. Nehemiah, he did. David did. John did. Saul, Paul did. They did what they could do. They stepped out and did what God is calling them to do. They begun to take action and begun to step out. Church, let me say to you, quit waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Quit waiting to be cleaned up when God's the one who cleans us. He's the one who purifies us. He's the one who does. God is waiting on you. Church, there's work to be done. Do it. There is a body of Christ that needs to be built. 
do it. There are people whose lives are bound and destined for hell. Step out and do it. Make a difference. There are people that need to be reached. Do it. God's vision and his purposes in your life, church, it will be found, it, it, it'll be found in what you already have, what's in your hand, what's in your situation, what's in where you are right now. It's God's will. Listen, God's will isn't a place. God's will is what you become. God's will is what you do with what you have. And are you willing to do with God with what you already have right now. And if we will, he will begin to develop. He will begin to put that vision in place. He will begin to open the doors for the purpose of your life. He's the one who will begin to do that. He's the one. In church, he will give you vision. He will give you purpose if you will start. If you will get going. That's where the challenge is. Beginning. There's a challenge that's there. But realize that there are many others who don't like people with vision. There are a lot of people. I, I found that to be true. You see that throughout Scripture. You certainly know Nehemiah found that to be true. A lot of people that don't mean to even, or not necessarily setting out to be evil, but they, they will do that. And Nehemiah, he found that to be the case. That's why the title of my message, and this is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah became the keeper of the vision. In church, every head of the household, every person individually in the church, there has to be a keeper of the vision. Because the enemy wants to kill that, destroy that. He wants to take that vision and, and wipe it out of your life. And therefore, we have to understand what it means to be a keeper of the vision. Are we keepers of the vision of our life? Are we keepers of the vision of our family and our home? Are we keepers of the vision? I tell you what, there would be a lot different outcomes in many families if we had learned this earlier. But this is where we are. And God can redeem everything that's happened, everything that's gone on, everything that you've been through in circumstance and situation, and God can redeem it all. And this is the day that God has made. And this is the day where we have this opportunity to become the keeper of the vision and watch what God does. And the first thing, if you're gonna be a keeper of the vision, the first thing you gotta do is, keep, is get going. Amen. You gotta get going. You gotta get started. You gotta get going. And the first way in which we can do that is by visualizing, visualizing, by looking around, by honestly opening our eyes to look around and to see and to visualize what needs to be done. What needs to be done in the spiritual life of your family? What needs to be done in the church? What needs to be done in the outreach? What needs to be done in your neighborhood? What needs to be done in your community? What needs to be done? Not so that you can tell everybody else what to do. So that you can set out and look for what needs to be done. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, Then I, I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision or disgrace. 
See, we have to see what needs to be done and then begin to believe that God can do what we see needs to be done, that God will help us, that God wants done. Listen, God can do what God wants to do when God wants something to get done. And we have to believe that what God, what we see God, what we see God giving us, and when we begin to see the completion, okay, he saw the need was the walls needed to be rebuilt. He saw the finished product of all that being done, and he had the ability to believe what God, that God could do what God was calling him to do. We see the need, we see the completion. We may not know all the steps that go into it all. That's why it requires faith. It requires trust in him. It requires faith in our part. And, then, and, and again, God honors people of faith. He honors our faith when we step out and trust him rather than our circumstances. When we trust what God says over what we see. When we trust what God tells us to do by standing in faith rather than giving in to the fear that wants to overcome us. There, there is no such thing, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but there's no such thing as accomplishing a vision without confronting fear. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, it goes on and it says, And I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You know, vision, vision will call people of like mind. Vision will draw people of like mind together. Vision will cause people to come alongside those of like mind to help accomplish the task that God has called you to. You may not know where they come from or who they are, but we have to begin to take those steps and watch God begin to bring those like-minded people to those who have vision. God will draw that together. Verse 20, then I replied to them, talking to the enemies that we're trying to stop the work. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know what he began to do? He began to speak faith to the enemy. He began to speak what God said to the enemy and negated what the enemy was saying. He stood up in faith. In church, we have to stand in faith when God gives us a call, that when God gives us something in which he's asking us to do. We stand in faith, and the enemy will come against you. We'll talk about that. But the enemy will come against you, and we have a response responsibility to speak the word of God, to speak by faith what God has called me to do. No, I'm not going to listen to you, enemy, because you're a liar, and I'm going to trust in my God because my God said this, and this is what he's called me to do, and my God is the one who will supply and meet my needs. I am going to do what God has called me to do. We speak faith to the enemy. So the first thing we have to do is we have to visualize what needs to be done. And then we begin to organize. That's what all of Nehemiah chapter 3 is all about. Uh, today's de de the Daily Dig. If you're not doing that, again, I encourage you to be a part of the Daily Dig with us. You can find it, you know, it is on Facebook, but you can also find it on the church app. Today, Nehemiah chapter 3. Super boring read. It's like reading the genealogies. But what you'll see in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that what Nehemiah started to do was these people were drawn to the work that God had called him to, and he began to divide up the tasks. He began to divide up that you need to do this, and you got to run over here. He developed, what he did was he developed a plan and then begun to work the plan. Church, at this stage, step out. And when you step out, God will direct you. 
And he will bring people alongside. But get to work. Begin to do what God's called you to do. Look, God will direct you, but he can't direct you while you're just standing still. Get going. Let God order your steps. And then the third thing that we see in this is that you have to actualize. Meaning, actually do it. Actually step out. It means get busy. Get busy and do what God's calling you to do. Start now. Start today. This is the day. Don't wait. What God's speaking to you, get out there and do. The people just got busy. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, it's all about work. It's all about getting busy. Listen, there is no such thing as a vision that won't be accomplished with a lot of hard work. It is a lot of work. Ministry is a lot of work. Serving God, there's a lot of work. And if you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you will see that there's not a name you really recognize. Because there are no heroes at this level. There's no heroes in this place. And if you're just looking to be a hero, looking to get a pat on the back, looking for everybody to acknowledge what you've done, listen, then you're doing it for the accolades and not doing it for the purpose that God has for you. At this point, there are no heroes. There's just hard work. There's no place for prestige. There's just a place to work. So just get going. If you want to be a keeper of the vision, then you got to just get going. And then you got to keep focused. You got to stay focused. Why? Because this is when the opposition comes in. This is where the opposition starts. Oh, man. You know, so many people, we're all, I mean, it's so excited at the beginning of something new. But man, oh, man, endurance is in short supply. Everybody gets so excited until we run into the wall. We're, we're, we get so excited about something until it gets hard. How do you think the Marines and the Marine Corps would do if when they got to the wall on the obstacle course, they just stopped and said, oh, I guess it's not the Marine Corps' I guess it's just not their desire for me. Must not be their will. No. Why is it, though, that when God calls us to something and we step out and it gets hard, uh, it must not be God's will? Part of the reason is that because our flesh, we all like a sprint. Nobody likes a marathon. Nobody wants that long distance run. But church, and the enemy knows that, and his tactics are always the same. The enemy doesn't have new tactics. He, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what the word of God tells us. So that means the enemy doesn't have any original thoughts. And so whether it's individual or collectively, they're the same tactics. And we can see that as you go through the book of Nehemiah. You can see these tactics that the enemy uses. He uses them against him, and he uses them against you and I. And the first attack that will come, the opposition will come from within. Chapter 4, all of chapter 4, it's about this place. You know, the first thing that happens is a psychological attack. The enemy comes against your thought life. These fiery darts he starts to shoot. These fiery darts that he uses to begin to try to make your thoughts separate from God's. He tries to kill that. And the, one of the first fiery darts that he'll use is ridicule. In Nehemiah chapter 4, in verses 1 through 3, it says this. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Can't you hear him just kind of laughing at this point? 
Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then, then his buddy starts to chime in. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. Oh, come on. I mean, you, how many of us have gone to this place where ridicule, people started to say things, you know what, well, that's not going to work. Well, I don't know what you're thinking. I'm not sure. And the enemy brings these thoughts into our mind. Yeah, I mean, what am I building? This whole thing is just going to come falling down. It's not going to last. What am I doing? And the enemy brings ridicule into the thought life of the leader. But he also does it amongst the followers as well. Ridicule is a psychological weapon. It, it affects, it afflicts our thought life. And it creates doubt. And it creates unbelief. And all of a sudden that ridicule stops us in our tracks. Yeah, you know what, you're right. It's not even worth building. The second fiery dart that the enemy used here, and he uses against us, is the dart of fear and confusion. In verses six through eight. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So the people were all on the same page, all working hard. They were building this wall. It was halfway built. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they plotted together to come fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. They wanted to bring fear to the people to stop this work before it gets finished. To bring confusion. You know what? There is nothing in our lives, nothing in our lives that stops us faster than fear. Fear will put an immediate stop to the plan and vision of God. So many people, you know, again, all of us with a destiny, but we're stopped because we're afraid. We've come into a place of fear. The enemy has talked about what attack will come. Oh, no, no, no. You know what? How many times have you ever heard this? You know, everything was going just fine in my life until I started serving God. And fear causes us to back up rather than the faith to say, greater is my God that's in me than he who's in the world. Fear stops us in our track. In confusion, it creates uncertainty and indecision. It creates chaos in our life. Chaos that gets us off base. It gets us off direction. It gets us going in a way that, that wasn't intended by God for us to go. And if those don't work, he'll shoot the fiery dart of discouragement. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Man, the people were getting tired. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. The people started to see this. This is why it requires a leader, because your family will start to get burdened. They'll start to feel tired, and it needs a leader, a keeper of the vision to keep that vision before them. It needs, you need to be a keeper of the vision in your life because you will start to feel doubt and all that rising up in you. You'll start to feel discouraged because it's not going the way you think, and we have to stand against that. The enemy, what the enemy wants us to do is the enemy wants to get us to focus on what isn't rather than what is. 
He wants us to, to, to focus on, on the impossible task rather than the God who can do the impossible. But church, if we'll fight through that, if we'll fight through the wall, if we'll fight through the discouragement and the fear and the confusion and the ridicule and fight through that to continue to do, I'm not going to quit, I'm not giving up, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, you will find that it will build you spiritually in a way that nothing else in this world can. And that God will use this to build you, and he will use it to build your family, he will use it to build the ministry that God has called you to, and what it is the vision that he has for you. So press on. That's why it's important. Keep going. Yes. Don't give up. Opposition will also come from around you. And, and you can read through chapter 5. I'm not going to go through it all. But the people were profit, profiting from the difficulties that the people of God were experiencing. People were, people were being sold. Grain was being sold. It was, a, it was a mess. And people were profiting from the difficulties. And God hates that. You see that all through Scripture. God hates that. God hated that when the Egyptians took advantage of the Israelites. And he gave back the plunder at the time of Exodus. We see that with Absalom who took advantage of David and overthrew his kingdom. But all this, the enemy was starting to expose these things and starting to show him, see, look at your people, these people, because it was even within the people of God. Look, yeah, see, look, Nehemiah, these are the people that you're working with. And then he, he, he began to expose sin. Listen, I, you know what? We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. and We all have things in our life that we struggle with. But man, when the enemy exposes the sins of people, it's usually not at the hand of grace. It's at the hand of condemnation. The enemy wants to expose those things to us because you know what? There is nothing, nothing that becomes more discouraging to a leader, to a head of a household than when the people that are following you get exposed in sin. And the enemy, he can use it as a tremendous discouragement. And in chapter 5, you see the great oppression that the people were under and the burden that the people were under. You know, Nehemiah, if you would just pull back and give these people a break, they wouldn't be so oppressed. If you would just water down the message, then the people wouldn't be so oppressed. You know, back off a little bit. The enemy is doing that today. It's almost to the point where, where purity has gotten a bad name in God's church. We, we can't even talk about that because you know what? Well, that, that brings up the purity culture. And oh, no, we can't be a culture that's pure. Sorry. I, I know there are some that grew up in that and, and have rebelled against it, but I, I'm sorry. I want to have a culture of purity in my life. Amen. And I don't care what it costs me. Amen. With all those things being true, Nehemiah did not back down. He confronted the enemy. He dealt with the opposition. And what we see in the end is that when he did that, when he confronted, when he brought it to God, when he began to pray, when he began to repent, when he began to, in a place of where the enemy wanted condemnation to come in, he stood up in grace and began to pray for forgiveness. You know what? God brought a cleansing. God brought righteousness into the whole thing. God will in your family, when we deal with things in a way that God is calling us to, rather than the way that the enemy is exposing them, God will open the doors for a cleansing and for 
righteousness to flow inside your home, inside our church. Amen? And the last opposition, it will come from the outside. You see that all through chapter 6. You see, the, and the first opposition that came from outside was distraction. In uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah, Tobiah and Geshem and the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakparim in the plain of Ono. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Maybe we can find a place of peace. Maybe we could get the enemy to stop attacking us. That sounds awesome. If you want to trust the enemy. Nehemiah, he didn't. He said, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah was so focused on what he was called to accomplish that there was nothing that was going to get him off of target. There was nothing that was going to cause him to sway one way or the other, even the appearance of a possible peace treaty. Church, don't try to make peace treaties with the enemy. Do you know what that, call, what that ends up being called? Compromise. He didn't do that. He did not allow himself to get distracted. But the distractions sure came. And then the next thing the enemy brought into his life were false accusations. And I tell you what, there is nothing. I, I, there, there's a lot of things. Again, I say nothing. But man, as I go through these things, it's like, oh yeah, that was the hardest. No, nope, no, nope, that was the hardest. There's a lot of hardest things that I've gone through in, in trying to see the vision that God has for my life unfold. And false accusations is one of them. I, I think everybody knows how that feels. And I think everybody knows what our first gut reaction is. This is what happened with Nehemiah in chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Guy was pretty persistent. In, it, in this letter was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem, he gets his, his evil neighbor to come alongside and begins to, you know, yeah, how many times have you heard that? Hey, you know what? I see this in your life, and you know what? Others have seen it too. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets. This, and again, I'll, I'll show you here in a minute. But he's, he's accusing Nehemiah of exactly what he was doing to Nehemiah. The enemy is really, really good at that. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear, and the, uh, hear of these reports. And so now come and let us take counsel together. He's saying, you know what? If you don't come talk to us, we're going to go tell the king who gave you all of these permissions to go. He didn't give you permission to go be the king. And Nehemiah wasn't going to be the king. 
It wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't what he said. But he, they came against him. If you don't come and, come and talk to us, we're going to go tell the king that you're doing all of this stuff, these false accusations. But look at what Nehemiah, he does not waste time trying to prove those accusations wrong. He stands in his integrity. And he takes it to God in prayer. And he knows that his God is the one who, who will take care of him. That his God is the one who has redeemed his life for this purpose and that God will see him through to the purpose that God has for his life. And he trusted in God. He wasn't out defending himself. He took it to God and continued that which God had called him to do. God, he will take care of me. God will take care of you. Now again, let me also say that in all of these accusations that came against Nehemiah, none of them were true. <laughs> Stand in purity. Stand in integrity. And then the enemy, next thing he did was he came against him with deception. He came to deceive him. And look at how he did this. In verses 10 through 15, it says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, doesn't that sound good? Let's go to the temple, because they're coming to kill you. And I'm a prophet. We can go into the temple, and we can be, you can be safe there. Let's save your life. Sounds good. But this is what Nehemiah said. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. He knew that sounded good, but he knew it was just a little off. It was not, probably not a big deal to, to us. We look at that and go, no big deal. But Nehemiah wasn't supposed to go into the temple. He wasn't allowed to go into this place. And he knew that for him to do that, it would have been a sin. But, but I'm going to go in and I'm going to save my life. But Nehemiah said, no. He said, I understood and saw what God had, that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me. This is what he had been accused of. Against Tobiah and Sambalot, they had hired him. And for this purpose, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Yeah, the enemy wants to get you to compromise, even if it's a little bit, so that he can tarnish your name, so that he can taunt you, and he can come against you. The enemy wants to bring deception into your life, to deceive you. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, he took to the Lord in prayer, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. So the deception, listen church, the deception, the deception came from the man of God. We need to be really careful. We, we need to be really careful. He, this man, he had been acknowledged as a prophet. And deception came through a man that should have been trustworthy through a man that should have been able to be listened to. But even in that, church, even in that, Nehemiah, he would not be deceived into sin. 
He would not be deceived into doing, even if it was a little bit wrong, he would not be deceived into sin because he knew that it would give him a bad name, even if it meant saving his life. Because Nehemiah saw that even sin, that, that, that saving his life wasn't worth sin. Something that would separate me from my God. You know what he did in all of this? He honored God and he honored the vision above everything else. And church, the last thing, and I'll, I'll start closing with this. Keep going. Don't give up. That's all chapter 7 through 13. You'll see it in there. When Nehemiah, think about this. Nehemiah had a vision of, of, of going to Jerusalem and building, rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the gates. And yet, here he gets done, and he's finished in chapter 6. Nehemiah finished the wall, but God wasn't finished with the vision that he had for Nehemiah. God had more in store. God wanted to see something bigger than what Nehemiah thought. Nehemiah thought, I'm just going to build the wall. But God saw the reestablishment of Jerusalem as the city of God. He saw something much bigger than what Nehemiah did. He thought he was just going to build a wall. But God saw something so much bigger. Look, you may think that you're just building a wall. I'm just working in children's ministry. Or I'm just involved in the sound booth. Or I'm just over here. And God wants you to know that you're not just building in a wall. God has something bigger and better and way beyond what it is that you see in the accomplishment of that. God wants to do something bigger. It says in Nehemiah chapter 7 and verses 4 and 5, the city was wide and large, so the walls were built, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And then my God put it into my heart. There, my God started to complete the next step of the vision that he had for my life, the purpose, the divine destiny that he had for me. He put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. So he was called to populate the city, to bring the people back, to reestablish the law of God, to bring repentance, to undo the wrongs that Israel had done, to bring about a holy place and recommit, recommitment to uphold the law of God. Church, whatever it is that God has you doing, whatever task that it is that he may be having you do in order to fulfill the vision, listen, the job is not ever going to be done when the surface is complete. Because every vision, every one of you, God has a vision for every one of you, every one of us. And for every one of you, you need to know that the vision God has for you is enough vision to take you through the rest of this life. Through the rest of this life, every vision, every one of you, God has a lifelong vision for you. And we need to get going. So let me ask you, what is the vision that you have for your life? What is the vision that God has for your life? Have you looked around to see what it is are you just waiting for oh. what's in your hand? What is it that he's asking you to do? What's the marathon? Have you started yet? Have you got going? I, I mean... Or are you in a place where, you know what, I've given up because of the opposition. 
the opposition, because of the ridicule or the discouragement, because of fear, because, whatever it is that the enemy has used to try to stop you, have you given up? Have you lost sight of what God is really calling you to do? And in losing sight of that call, you lost your passion, you lost your fire. Look, today is a brand new day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a day where I can see a decision made in my life and begin this place of renewal in me, renewal in what I'm doing, renewal in what God has called me to. Church, this is the month. This is the time of restoration. This is the time for God to restore what the canker worm has eaten. This is the time to begin the rebuilding process, to begin on the wall that God is calling you to build so that he can take you to the next place and the next place and the next place into eternity. This is a time to get the vision that God still has for you. God has not lost that vision. You might have lost sight of it, but God hasn't. God has a vision for you and he has a vision for your home. He has a vision for your family and God has a vision and a plan for this church. Listen, you may have given up on God. You may have given up on God's vision, but God has not given up on you. God has not given up on the vision He has for you. God has not given up on the call that He has upon your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter. God still has a place of redemption for each and every one of us to see the vision renewed and restored. Look, the Bible tells us in Romans 11, it says the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Amen. And church, you can rejoice that Romans 8 says, and if he, God, is for you, then who can stand against you? It's what we have. Look, your life, the vision, it started with God. And it continues with God. And it will only be completed with God. So, He can get you started. He can get you moving from right where you are. He's able to do anything. Stop dogging on your situation. Stop dogging on your circumstance and start praising God that right where you are is right where God wants you to begin. This is right where God has you because that's where God wants you to be. God wants you to use what's in your hand right now to do what needs to be done so he can get you to the place of rebuilding the wall, of rebuilding the kingdom that he has for you and I. He can get you on track. He can get you going. He can clarify the situations of your life. He can redeem the circumstances that you're walking in. He can go through the difficult times and bring order to it. And He can help you in this time to reorganize and begin the work that God has called you to do. If He can get you started, He can sustain you. And the power of God can help you to finish what it is that He starts in you. Church, it all begins with a decision. It begins with your decision. Not the decision that you make tomorrow, but the decision that you make today. A decision that God has for you right now. And, and the question is not, oh, I don't know if God has a plan for me. Yes, He does. The Word of God has promised you that. He says, I'm no respecter of persons. If He has a vision for me, He has a vision for you. 
And if he doesn't have a vision for you, then he doesn't have a vision for me either. And we're all just wasting time and space. He has a plan for you, a vision for you, a destiny for you. No matter where you're at or what you've been through, the sovereignty of our almighty God is able to redeem it, to renew it, and to use it for what he has for you. The question is this, what will I do today? What will you do? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're a God who loves us. That you're a God who is able to do all things in and through us. I thank you, God, for your love and kindness. And I thank you, Lord, that you have not lost sight of any one of us. That you know exactly where we are. And, and exactly where we are is exactly where you want to use us from. So I pray today, Lord, for courage. I pray for the courage of Nehemiah to come upon the people of God. That, Lord, we would say yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That we would open our eyes to see. That we would begin to pray. That we would begin to fast. That we would begin, Lord, to do what we need to do so that we could hear from you, Lord. Not, Lord, not necessarily to hear from you as far as, God, where the end result is. But, God, where do you want me to step next? What can I do right now? God, give me the courage to take that step. And I pray, Lord, for a body. I pray, Lord, for every single one in this place that we would go through Nehemiah chapter 3. Oh, the enemy wants to bore us with that. We would see all of these people just doing what they could do to build the kingdom, to build the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Everybody, Lord, just working, doing, and watching as, God, you have your way. So speak to hearts today. Minister your grace, your grace. Oh, Lord, with a past like mine, I don't deserve the life and the future that you have given me. But, God, I want to walk forward thankfully, obediently, doing what you've called me to do in every step to show you, Lord, how thankful I am. And I pray that today, Lord, for each and every one. Just take a moment and you ask him, God, what do you have? What do you want?
what we don't deserve and he uses us in places that we certainly have no absolute right in this world being but remember God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the call which means you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength amen so go do it Listen, church, I, I want to see you Wednesday night. We'll be here from 6.30 to 7.30. Come on out. Bring your family. Come be a part of prayer. Don't forget, if, if you want some of those ornaments back there, take those with you in the green bags back there. Those are a gift for you. God bless you. We love you. Happy New Year. Please drive safe out there. Go be the church. God bless you, church. Oh, I